The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome. On this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour, we are honored to be joined by a creative force. J.D. Andrew is a songwriter, a Grammy-winning recording engineer, a producer, a guitarist, and recording artist. Some of his credits include working with the Rolling Stones, the Pussycat Dolls, the late Guy Clark, Kanye West, Will Kimbrough, who was a guest on this show, and many more. He's had a very eclectic musical experience. Along with Bud Thornton, J.D. Andrew founded the rock band The Boxmasters back in 2007, and this is a very prolific band. I mean, especially if you consider modern standards, aside from just all the touring, I think this is the ninth album. Is that correct? You know what? I lose track as to whether it's the eighth or ninth. <laughs> We've recorded so many of them, and there's, you know, uh, three or four or five that uh, we finished that have never come out. So that's why I kind of lose track as to which ones. I think officially this is eight. You know, there's always plenty of stuff uh, waiting to come out or, you know, we'll see if it ever sees the light of day. Some of them, you know, are records that are made more for, I guess, personal reasons or personal, like creative fulfillment, mainly for Billy on the, you know, the lyrics and uh, something that he's, you know, talking about. So some of it may be is uh not maybe it'll be interesting to people when uh if if we ever put them out but i don't know it might just be too inside of billy's head for <laughs> to uh to ever you know appeal to other people but a lot of records that are, are made you know were really uh you know personal to somebody and then it means a lot to somebody else and so sometimes it might actually be just convincing billy like this is a great record let's put it out so we got a couple like that that are very uh i would say autobiographical for him so it's just a matter of convincing him that you know we need to put these records out and uh that people want to hear them so we'll see this latest album spec really incredible produced with the late and legendary jeff emmerich who a lot of people will recognize that name for all of his work with the beatles yeah it's uh it was it was quite an experience because uh we've known jeff for you know, quite a while. Um, he was actually in the pictures of our first box masters record. He, uh, kind of appeared as a, as our, you know, label suit guy is kind of how we described him as we were the, the young whippersnappers, you know, standing around the console listening to, uh, something, but we, you know, the kind of the gatefold picture has Jeff in it. And he, uh, you know, has been, uh, a friend of ours for a long time. And we'd, casually talked about working in some capacity at some point but uh last uh it was about two decembers ago that uh billy and jeff met up and were talking about uh doing something and so we had this record partially done and so we you know said well maybe we should let him give a crack at mixing a couple of songs And of course, the first one he did is the first single of the record. I want to go where you go. The first song on the record. And when we heard that, we were just blown away. And, you know, it had all these elements of Beatles records, essentially, you know, there's a lot of effects on the voice. It's like a, you know, the Leslie kind of sound and the, the slapback ADT kind of stuff. And we were just like, how did you do that? And he's just like, uh, I'm not going to tell you. It's like, (laughs) So it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. And so after we heard that, you know, we, uh, just kind of agreed it'd be great to have Jeff produce the record and we would, uh, you know, finish the record with him. So we recorded a few more songs and then he mixed the whole thing, you know, listened to amazing stories about working with the Beatles and McCartney and Badfinger and, you know, all the bands that we are huge fans of we got to hear stories like personal accounts of what it was like working with those people. And Jeff was also, you know, a pretty, he was very English. And so, you know, a lot of the time we'd be like, Oh, I hated that. You know, it's like, cause there was uh, lizards on the wall in my hotel, you know, doing band on the run or something like that. And, you know, it was, (laughs) it was always just entertaining how he would tell the story 
as well as then hearing, you know, about the story that he would uh, have to share. But he invented so many of these recording techniques that we take for granted. They were coming up with all the uh, things they were, you know, all constantly trying to make a sound that was something new and different. And Jeff was always along for the ride and pioneering a lot of uh, the techniques that we have just used for 40 or 50 years, however long it's been. So it was really neat watching him do some of the things that was like, Oh, that's right. You are the guy that did that first. (laughs) For somebody who is a recording or a studio buff, is it at all intimidating being around Jeff Emmerich? It's completely intimidating all the time because you know, it's like you want him to first off, like the songs and like the, uh, performances but then at the same time it's like i want him to like how it sounds you know so hopefully the recording process before he had come along you know hopefully it was uh you know wasn't something that he was fighting or you know like he was you know hating everything i did but the sad thing about losing jeff is i never got to ask him it's like did you what did you like about these recordings or what did you hate you know what what did you find difficult i mean he made everything sound good so it took a little while because, uh, you know, I was so like with this band, I've been in there with my hands on it. Every step of every way of every song from beginning to end. And so having somebody else touch this was, you know, a little bit strange. So like after the first initial, like, holy cow, this sounds amazing. Then it's like you start listening to stuff and you start like kind of second guessing and then it takes a little while and then all of a sudden you're like back to you're just, you know, a fan of like, oh, man, that sounds really great. I really get excited to hear these songs because for a while it was kind of like, oh, I don't know. It's like maybe I would turn the vocal up or <laughs> turn that turn those guitars up or turn that one down or something like that. But now it's just like I just enjoy every bit of it and I really uh, appreciate what he did. I'm hoping you can tell us about the writing process for this album. Do you have any recollections from from writing these songs? Well, on uh, some of them, like I Want to Go Where You Go is a song that we started in 2009 or 10. And so that one's especially one that I don't remember how we uh, came up with that. But 95% of the songs start with Billy kind of uh, messing around with a he'll have a lyric and a melody of some sort for the chorus or the verse, you know, like that song, I can kind of remember him going, you know, with the, I want to go. It's like, you got to follow the, follow the melody that he's got. Cause most of the time he has a melody going when he's coming up the lyrics. So it, you know, kind of drives where he's going. Sometimes he'll start plinking on a guitar. There's a song days gone that, uh, Billy, Pretty much wrote the entire thing on the ukulele and then played the ukulele part. He sits, he's got a little room in his house where he watches TV and we've got, we set up our recording equipment that we had taken out of the old house with the studio in it. We put a few things in this room and kind of intended on it being our place where we would uh, do a little work, but we just never got, I don't know, we'd rather go to the studio and do it. So he sits there on his his couch and watches uh, baseball and sports center and uh, we'll just have a little, you know, little travel guitar and he just kind of comes up with things that sounds good to him. And then we get together and turn it into, you know, a full song. There's a watching the radio is a song that was, you know, also kind of old, but I remember that was one where Billy used to watch uh, the music channels on direct TV it used to be like the Sirius XM before it became their own personal service or whatever. And he would sit there and listen to the sixties on six or seventies on, you know, the sixties and seventies channels. You know, one day I walked in and said, Hey, what you doing? Watching the radio. He then turned that into a song about a guy that, uh, thinks that the TV is watching him and, basically a guy that's paranoid about technology and how it's, uh, you know, invading his life. And so, you know, it's one of the few that is like, okay, I actually had a, 
a hand in the writing of the words of that just, you know, a little bit, but mostly Billy writes all of the lyrics and then I help out with the music in some capacity. Other times there's a, you know, a song or two that I'll start all the music and then he'll come up with words for it after, uh, you know, pretty much the whole song is written. The song, uh, spec, the title song we started on the tour bus a couple tours back where I was sitting there playing the, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, hook instrumental part and then do, 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 and, uh, coming up with the chords for that. Then Billy's like, yeah, keep working on that. You know, let's, let's figure out where it goes. And, uh, and then he started sitting there and, uh, we started writing some words for it. Here she comes is a song that, uh, we started on the bus, I believe. We went to, uh, the nut house in Sheffield, Alabama, went to, uh, this guy, Jimmy nut studio. Billy's got a really good friend named Donnie Fritz down in muscle shoals. And so he was asking him, where could we stop on tour and go record a song or a few songs for the next record? And, uh, Donnie said that everybody that he knew went over to uh, Jimmy nut studio. It's this old bank building that he turned into a recording studio and really nice place. And they still have the vault, which was really, really cool because it's, you know, this humongous heavy door and they close it and put guitar amps in it. And it's like really, you know, a great isolation space. But we started the Here She Comes on the bus, finished it at about five or six in the morning and then started the session at nine or ten. When we got home, listened to it, you know, after the tour, we were like, man, this is about three steps too low because <laughs> we were just all, he was singing it like two or three steps lower in the, so we had to come back, record all the instruments. We kept the drums part of it, but, uh, we weren't able to keep anything else. I just remember that was, that was when we just sat on the bus, all three, me, Teddy and Billy, and we, uh. Just worked on that thing until we got it all finished. All the songs kind of come from different places, but they all share that they're all inspired. They're not, we're, you know, making appointments to write a song where it's like something comes to us and, you know, we follow it until we get the song done. And if, if we, you know, put the song down typically or, you know, like just start it and don't finish it kind of right away, then we're both pretty, uh, the attention span's not too long. So it's like, if it doesn't stick with us and we don't finish it right then, we'll just move on to something else and kind of forget whatever else it was. When I was introducing you to the listeners, I was talking about all these musical things you pursue from the songwriting, as we've just been talking about engineering, performing. Could you say that there is a main focus for you? What you're the most passionate about? It's always, everything is kind of, uh, started for me as in, the root has been in recording. I started as a kid, I was a singer in, uh, you know, like various like church groups. And then my elementary and high school were, uh, really big vocal music schools. I played in the band as well as, but our, vocal music program was really strong. And so the other thing was that our instructor, our, you know, leader of the music program was also the leader of the uh, local stagehands union in Salina, Kansas. And so every once in a while he would hire a few of us kids to uh, come unload trucks or something at the, you know, the arena for uh, concerts. And I was always, like super thrilled by seeing, you know, a stage built and seeing a show and a, seeing it all put together, seeing a rigger climb a rope into the, you know, the truss and watch him play with lights or things like that. It was always amazing to me. And I, uh, also, I was always a big fan of like setting up the gear for a high school dance. And even if it was just a, a tape deck and a, and a couple of big speakers. It was always really exciting to me to set up the gear. When I figured out that recording was kind of a thing, 
I just kind of had a, an epiphany that it's like, I want to make records someday. And before that, I'd kind of been just like rolling along through school and always did okay, but I didn't have much focus or care for it. But uh, once I figured out recording was a thing and you could actually do it, then I started, you know, really getting focused on it. And I went to school for it for a year and then, then went to Nashville. Nashville's where I really got to cut my teeth because I worked for EMI Music Publishing making cassette tapes during the day of song demos, which is where I worked with Bruce Birch. And so Bruce would bring in a list of songs and we'd take them off of DAT cassettes, DAT tapes, and put them on a cassette so that they could take the songs around and pitch them to other artists and producers so they could record the songs. But the uh, EMI building had a studio in the basement. And the other great thing about Nashville was that they stopped working at five or six o'clock in the evening and the studio sat empty every night. I basically took it over as my kind of place that I would spend all my time. And a friend of mine named Bob Bailey Lemansky was pretty tied into the rock band part of Nashville. He was uh, friends with Will Kimbrough and Tommy Womack. They were guys that I befriended and said, Hey, why don't you come over to the studio and record some stuff? We recorded a few demos on everybody. Will got the idea that we should make a record. So we started cranking out his first solo record, which was called This. Right before that was done is when I decided I should move to Los Angeles. Because I had a friend or a producer engineer that I'd worked for who said uh, that if I really wanted to learn how to be an engineer, I needed to move to L.A. Because it's where he'd come from. He had worked with big studios and he had been an assistant at Conway. His wife then was managing Conway. He called me one day, ironically, right before I was coming to LA on a vacation to see a friend of mine. And uh, he said, Hey, my wife just fired somebody at Conway. Go see her, go get the job. And <laughs> so I went, I started working, uh, the next day and, or I flew back to Nashville, got my car, loaded it up and, uh, moved. It was, uh, I don't know, it was quite a trip. It just all of a sudden just like dived right into one of the biggest, coolest studios in Los Angeles and saw, you know, all these guys. They were, I remember the first session that was going on while I was there was uh, for the movie, I think, Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg. And so there was all these, um, you know, Zach Wilde and I think Jason Bonham and all these, you know, big rock dudes all in there on this big room making this soundtrack to this movie. And, uh, you know, I was pretty blown away right away that this is kind of stuff going on here. This is, uh, going to be exciting. Recording studios are magical places, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're full of creativity and they're also kind of, uh, places for anarchy. You know, that's, they're typically there's no clocks or at least no one pays attention to a clock. They're, they're cut off kind of from the outside world. You don't leave like you people go out and get food for you so that you don't have to leave. If you, uh, I mean, if you want to party, that's, <laughs> you can do it basically, uh, you know, discreetly or, uh, you know, without, uh, anybody finding out. Uh, I mean, that's usually, you know, I'm a, I'm more of the worker aspect and also, you know, creatively you can, you know, you have this playground to, uh, whatever you can think of, you can, uh, attempt to, uh, find these sounds. I don't know. It's always just really fit in with, uh, you know, kind of how I feel about having freedom to do kind of whatever you want to. <laughs> it's like, that's the studio. That's your safe space. You know, it's really, it's where I like to be, you know, when I'm not, uh, not, playing with my kids, I guess it's I'd just, uh, but I've spent so much time in the studio over the years that, uh, yeah, it's, it's my home. It's, it's my good space. <laughs> it truly is a place like you were saying that you can totally lose track of time. You can say, I didn't, I, I can't believe it's still light out. And then it dawns on you. It's light again. <laughs> exactly. Because most of the time, I mean, it used to be a lot of the time we would go, you know, we'd start work in the late afternoon when it'd be getting dark. And yeah, I would be 
leaving the studio when the sun's coming up. Yeah, me and Billy used to work. It'd be kind of our hours were typically like three o'clock until five o'clock. And so three in the afternoon until five in the morning was how we worked every day, six days a week for five years. I think it was pretty much straight. We would take some time off to tour, but that was it. You know, we just nonstop recorded. And then we took a little time off because Billy made a movie where he was, he wrote and directed, directed it. And then, uh, so we had to go down to Georgia and shoot that for a little while. But the rest of the time, you know, we just, we worked just constantly for years. Then he sold the house that had the studio in it. So thankfully, right about the time I uh, had my first kid was when the, when he sold the house and we stopped the madness of all those hours in the studio. But, uh, we still find time to get in as much as we can and are, uh, always uh cranking out songs we were just in this weekend and you know did uh four or five songs in three days so pretty good times when you first met billy bob thornton what did you think about him what was the first impression you know i was brought in to record vocals for two weeks i was that was basically what i was told i'd be doing he was finishing uh, his fourth solo record, which was called Beautiful Door, which it's a really great record. He and Brad Davis were essentially making it together by themselves, and they'd been working on it for a while. And Brad is, uh, you know, an amazing guitar player and amazing guy that uh, he's, you know, part of the band on and off all the time. He's got a studio in Texas that he uh, works at a lot. Or, you know, he owns that, uh, you know, he's always busy at. But thankfully, this summer for this tour, he's uh, making some time and he's going to go on the road with us. And But he and Billy were working on that record for a while. And Billy had another engineer because the house that he had that had the studio, he had bought from Slash. And the engineer that had worked with Slash just kind of stayed on. You know, Billy said, Hey, why don't you just stay here? You know, the studio, why don't you uh, help me? And so he had worked with him for six or seven years at that point. But Jim uh, Mitchell is his name. Jim also had a kind of a, his side gig was uh, doing on air audio for Fox sports. And so he worked on stuff like NASCAR and, and the NFL on Fox and stuff like that. And he was just, uh, needed more and more at Fox than the amount of time that Billy needed him. So they were looking for somebody to come in and do some overdubs for two, maybe three weeks. And I really, really from the first song that they played, I was really, really impressed. I really liked that record. And, uh, I was really excited to, you know, help out on it because I was like, this is really great. And just right off the bat, me and Billy got along really well because we're both, you know, I'm from Kansas. He's from Arkansas. I'd been in Nashville. So essentially we were from the same general region of the country. And then we're both huge baseball fans, big college sports fans, and also like just huge Beatle fans and sixties music and general fans. So like we had so many common ground elements that, uh, we always, you know, had something that we were talking about and getting off track on. And, and Billy was constantly like, Oh, you know, you like this. Uh, have you ever heard of Chad and Jeremy or something like that? And so that's kind of how we got into, uh, you know, we started recording because at one point Billy was asked to record a version of lost highway for a Canadian TV show. And so He's like, Hey, I got asked to do this song. You know, Brad's not here. Would you give a crack at playing guitar on this? And, you know, I hadn't played guitar on anything in years and I never focused on playing. I didn't want to be a guitar player. I was a singer. I learned how to play guitar enough to accompany myself like playing at bars in Manhattan, Kansas. That was pretty much all I, you know, cared about as far as being a guitar player. It was not. I 
no interest in it really <laughs> at that point. But so Billy asked me, so I played the song and when we got done with it, it just had this kind of raw, you know, garagey kind of Rolling Stones kind of thing to it. And then of course, then he called Dan Lanois and Dan came over and played steel on it and did a mix on the song. And uh, I don't know if it ever actually made it to the TV show or if they used it, but it was how we started the band. And so like after that, then Billy started throwing me all these things. He's like, so listen to this. This is, you know, a British band trying to play, you know, a hillbilly song, you know, an American hillbilly song from, you know, something. And, uh, He's like, just, you know, listen to these things. Look, listen to how they do it. So we started like taking it backwards and, you know, like doing hillbilly versions of, you know, British invasion songs and British invasion versions of hillbilly songs too. And just, you know, that's kind of how we started the band of doing these kind of weird combinations of things. And they were just all really, you know, experimental, but, you know, we, uh, decided to, uh, keep doing it. And then, you know, we would open, the Boxmasters would open for Billy Bob Thornton, you know, on the road. So kind of, we, uh, did that for a couple of tours while we finished the record. And then when our first record came out, then we just kind of stopped and said, all right, this is the Boxmasters. We're just going to do this now. And, uh, over the years have gone, you know, we, uh, kind of, uh, took the experimental stuff and kind of put that aside and just kind of focused on just writing songs that were just kind of natural to us, like how we play naturally and how, uh, you know, taking all the elements of all the things that we love, especially from, you know, the British invasion and, you know, Southern California rock and roll, like the birds and the beach boys taking those things and putting them all together and just making uh, the sound that now sounds like us. It's kind of the same thing, you know, like Petty did, and the heartbreakers, you know, with stuff you take the Beatles and the birds and, you know, they took Dylan. Billy's not as much of a Dylan fan. He's a fan of Dylan, but not as he's not uh, taking as much inspiration from Dylan as Tom Petty did. Billy's is more Frank Zappa, I guess, <laughs> inspired than, uh, than Dylan. But, uh, you know, just taking all those things and, and basically it's like you just we take them in, we spit them out. They sound like us. So yeah, I completely lost track of where we were starting there. <laughs> I was asking you, what was your first initial impression when you met him? Oh yeah. 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 No, it's, I just was really impressed with that first song that I heard and then how well we got along, you know, as people, it's like we were just, uh, kind of, you know, peas in a pod in, in the kind of things that we liked. So as people, we got along, so it made it easy to spend a lot of time together and, you know, and really work on, you know, whatever came to mind. So you think this commonality is is part of the reason you two are, are very good at creating together? That and we both, you know, we respect each other and we trust each other. I'm a huge fan of everything that Billy does. I really like how he writes. I really like his lyrics. The music is always really inspiring to me. It's, and at the same time, it's stuff that I, I get to put my, you know, two cents into everything. And it's the music that, you know, it just comes out of me. It's, it's natural sounding. It's how I play. I'm not the first couple of things, couple of records were, you know, really working on like trying to make a sound and, and working hard at coming up with parts that worked within the framework and the limitations and restrictions that we put on ourselves to, you know, make those records. And now it's just, you know, we're just free to create whatever we want and anything that comes to mind, you know, we're able to give it a shot. We don't have anybody else telling us, Hey, you can't do that. We just do stuff that inspires us things that, uh, allow us to create freely and we're not looking for, other people to judge us <laughs> other than, Hey, do you like this? Okay, great. If you don't, then okay. I hope you find something else that you like, but you know, we're not going to stop and you know, we're going to keep coming up, you know, with songs that inspire us and, you know, hopefully keep people will listen to them and enjoy them. 
What can you tell us about Teddy of the Boxmasters? Teddy Andriotis, a.k.a. Teddy Zigzag, is a force of nature. <laughs> he is a, you know, I mean, he's an amazing keyboard player. He's He's got amazing attention deficit disorder. And he uh, <laughs> is a lot of fun. I mean, he's, he's just a... You know, an entertaining guy. He's a consummate showman. He's always coming up with ideas for ways that we can entertain people more. And typically we ignore them because we're not exactly an entertaining kind of band. We're uh, <laughs> get out there and play our music and, you know, we'll put on as much of a show as we can. It's, you know, we're not kids, so we're not going to jump around. We're not going to uh, do... uh choreography we're going to get up there we're going to play our songs and hopefully play them as well as we can so that uh they can not be horribly offensively uh ear pleasing i guess but he's just you know he's a good guy he's played with billy since uh the early 2000s like 2001 or something like that somewhere on the first record billy's first solo record tours I think Teddy didn't do the first one or two, but somewhere, you know, around, you know, the second or third tour, Teddy was, uh, brought into the band and, you know, Teddy had played with Guns N' Roses. And so that's how he, uh, was brought into the camp. Cause you know, I think Billy or somebody asked slash is like, Hey, do you know any uh, keyboard players? Cause, um, the guy that we've used before isn't available. So then they said, well, yeah, Teddy plays in my band. Why didn't, why didn't he, you know, you can use him. And so he's, uh, he's always been around. So that's one thing, you know, Billy's, he's, you know, very loyal. He likes, uh, his people that are friends and people that, you know, like to stay around and, and also, you know, who play, who, you know, do exactly, you know, musically what we need, what, you know, that they bring something you know, some element of themselves and they have the same kind of influences and stuff. And Teddy's got all that, the same, he loves the same stuff and is entertaining and, and fun to be around. <laughs> hmm. I was mentioning at the beginning of the interview, all of these credits that you have working with the Rolling Stones, the Pussycat Dolls, Kanye West, Will Kimbrough, Guy Clark, who was one of the great songwriters of our time. Yeah, guy was that was the first record I ever got to work on. It was wow. one of the one of the EMI things, and uh, Chris Latham was the studio engineer, studio manager, and he had been doing that record with them. And Chris had some sort of family emergency, and he said, "Hey, I know you know this studio. Can you help Guy and Daryl, Daryl Scott? Can you help them mix the record?" And I was like, "Ah, uh, yeah." Absolutely. Yeah. I went in and, uh, and I helped them. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the, just a great experience, you know, cause guy was, I knew him a little bit from, you know, working in the tape room and I'd make copies of tapes for him and same with Daryl and Verlin Thompson. And, you know, they were heroes of mine. I loved those guys songs and just being around them was so much fun. You know, guy was such a character and, such an inspiration to so many, you know, musicians and everyone that got to know him. You know, I, I'm really honored that I was able to just sit in the room with those guys for, you know, a little bit. Really proud that that was the first record I ever got credit on. Yeah, it's nah, really cool. Well, given the just the nature of the caliber of the artists that you worked with, what would you say is the most valuable thing you've learned from working with these people? That is a question. <laughs> I mean, you know, pretty much everybody that of the, you know, the Rolling Stones, the Guy Clarks, you know, even the Will Kimbrose, and they're all people that they are unique. They're not, I mean, the Stones have had an amazing varied career, but these people are all pretty much doing what they've always done. You know, they're, they're themselves. They're, they're just writing their songs. They're playing it and they're just being true to their artistry. 
you know, some of the stuff that I've done is, you know, been pop records and those are just, they're making music for, you know, more of a mass consumption kind of thing. And the personalness isn't necessarily one of the aspects of it, but you know, the people that I've, that I've worked with that, you know, I really enjoy their music and their artistry, you know, or the stones and the guy Clarks and the Will Kimbrose. And I should have mentioned also, it's like, I, I was able, one of the first records I was ever made at the EMI studio was, uh, Dan Baird was producing a band called Betty Rocker. That was a local Nashville band. And it was the first thing that, that I said, Hey, let's make a record. You know, I've got a studio. If you guys can be flexible and, uh, come in and in weekends and at nights and stuff, then we can finish this record or we can, you know, make a record and finish it. I learned so much from Dan on how to make a rock record and had so much fun doing it. He's such a force of nature, that guy and his creativity and just his personality. I just had so much fun. It was so inspiring working with them just in kind of just helped me go on in the right direction. Like for, you know, like really just going in and just going after, just, just going after songs and just going out you know, like ha playing, playing rock and roll with a feeling. I don't know. It's just, it just really, uh, it's a record that I listen to, you know, I go back and listen to every couple of years. Cause it never came out. It finished or we finished the record and they broke up, you know, kind of immediately as we were finishing it. But so I'm kind of the only person's ever gotten to listen to that record in its entirety. And I, those people though, they're, you know, they're really themselves. They're really their own artists and you know, they, they make music the way they want to make, make it. Hmm. I heard in another interview one time that you did, and you talked about, being on a tour, sharing a bill with people like Willie Nelson, the late Ray Price. Has there been anyone, and as we mentioned, all these other people, has there been anyone that you were just almost like you were you were excited, but at the same time, it was almost like it was mortifying to be around? Like you became starstruck. Uh, well, I remember one time we played the uh, Ramble at the Ryman with Levon Helm. Oh, well. And we got to go out there and play... We played a song called uh, That Mountain, which is off of our first record uh, that Billy wrote with Marty Stewart that was on his first solo record, too. We went and did that song with Levon and his band and whoever else was on stage. And I'm pretty good at not being nervous. I've, uh, I manage my nervousness pretty well, but that was the one night where I really thought I was going to throw up going to the stage. And, you know, Levon's an amazing guy and I, we'd met him before. And so it wasn't exactly that I was, it was, uh, that Levon per se, that was, you know, that made me nervous. Cause he really had a way of making you feel comfortable. He was such a generous, you know, personable guy that, uh, you know, it was never him per se, that was, uh, you know, made me nervous, but it was like just being on that stage and then the people in the audience, you know, there, there were so many people on that show that, you know, they would come from backstage and then they, you'd see them out in the audience or something like that. And, uh, I just remember that, you know, feeling sick feeling <laughs> as we're going on. Once we were there, you know, it was fine, but just the whole anticipation of that was pretty overwhelming. I remember early in my, you know, assisting assistant engineering days, uh, there's, you know, an engineer named Al Schmidt, who's won more Grammys than about any person in history. Oh yeah. And so I assisted Al at the, it was kind of the first studio that I was an assistant engineer at and I was super green and it was a project that he didn't necessarily want to do, but he was doing it for a friend as a favor, like for a weekend, like a three piece jazz band with a singer. I remember wanting to impress so much and have everything so perfect. And I started basically behind the eight ball right off the bat. It's like all of a sudden, like I had to add a, 
we were recording a tape and they at the last second asked for Dolby SR, which was a noise reduction for the tape. And I'd never set it up before. And so it took me like twice as long to set up the Dolby as, uh, you know, I had anticipated and I had checked everything, but we had a really old need console that was really finicky. And so of course, you know, a couple of the microphones didn't work as, you know, we hit record for the first song. And I was just, I felt sick. I was just, you know, I was so nervous doing this session that I just basically was just, you know, drowning. It's <laughs> just like trying to swim out of this. And it was just horrible just working with some of these guys. And, you know, they're so experienced and so no nonsense kind of guys that it's like you, once you just slip a little bit, you're just like, you just feel awful and you just keep like digging yourself a hole and, you know, you're just never going to get out of it. But eventually you do. And eventually they get all the songs recorded and then you say, uh, thank you. <laughs> see you later but uh i'm trying to think of other artists that i've met that were uh that made me that nervous but you know most of the time it's uh you know you're there you're doing your job hmm. i did assist on a jerry lee lewis duets record where he did one with ringo Starr, and that was uh that was a little unnerving how cool though <laughs> that was yeah i mean that was a, that was a that was a huge experience i mean it's one day of just like you got to be kidding me this is you know this is the room i'm in with all these guys this is unbelievable wow <laughs> i mean just to think of it jerry lee lewis and ringo star <laughs> yeah yeah it was yeah yeah and you know it's like and the first time I met with the stones or, you know, worked with the stones, it was, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure it was like, I could keep barely keep myself inside my skin, but Mick was always really good about, uh, making you feel comfortable and, uh, like, okay, we're here to work, you know, let's, you know, but, uh, you know, it's, it's always, you know, you still, you just like, you turn your head and you're like, that's Mick Jagger. <laughs> Or, you know, uh, that's Keith Richards. That's, this is nuts. You have to learn to kind of, uh, manage that kind of excitement and that nervousness. And, you know, cause you got a job to do and they're not in there to have somebody mess their stuff up. They're in there to work, get stuff done and, uh, get on to, uh, whatever else they got going on. So you just got to get it done. What is the best thing about being JD Andrew? Uh, goodness, I guess, I mean, <laughs> sometimes I, I, that's, uh, I don't think it is, but, uh, one good thing is I get to do all sorts of stuff. I'm doing so many other things that it's, I'm not, I don't have time to get burned out on, uh, one thing or the other. So I, I do, you know, our work with the band, uh, I have a couple other bands that I work with kind of here and there, and then other stuff I do like is, uh, you know, post-production stuff. So I'll do like foreign language versions of TV shows. Uh, I'll mix those. Um, just did, uh, six languages for the rest of development for Netflix. The good thing about that is I'm doing audio work, which I really love, but it's not creative audio work. If you know what I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's technical. It's more, it's like just trying to get it all right to work and figuring out right. ways to do it quicker and easier. And, uh, just, it's not a creative endeavor. It's creativity only in the way that it aids getting the job done. And so I really enjoy doing stuff like that because, uh, I like to problem solve and I like to figure out ways to do different things that might maybe, uh, just make it so I can do it faster. And then I can take some of that information, use it in, uh, you know, in the work that we do, the, in the music and the creativity of that. I know ha having all these other tools and skill sets just helps, uh, be able to, uh, get the work done on other projects. Well, I have two final questions. One is kind of lighthearted. Okay. <laughs> something about being a touring musician is you get to travel around 
and you have to eat. And so when you're out on the road with the Boxmasters, what is that restaurant? When you hit that city, you guys know, <laughs> oh, gosh, there's a huge bonus here. Remember, there's this restaurant. Can you think of one? Uh, I'm, I'm going through cities of where, uh, where we go. You know, it's a, a lot of the time we play so many different varied places that it's, uh, you know, and we're not going back to like the same place every year or anything like that. There's a few that we do like Kansas city. We play knuckleheads every tour, but they're kind of in a location where there's no, the food's not really near them. We just eat at the club or, uh, Springfield, Illinois. We play at this place called, uh, boondocks. Me and Billy typically go to a little Mexican restaurant there. That's, uh, close to the hotel, but they're not really, uh, I wouldn't say it's something I look forward to. <laughs> Billy eats pretty, uh, not going to say strangely, but he's really allergic to uh, like wheat and dairy and shellfish and stuff. So it kind of limits what he can eat. So typically what we find is someplace, usually, like Mexican food is usually pretty safe, you know, because he likes guacamole a lot. I don't know. Living in Los Angeles, we're, you know, huge Mexican food fans. I mean, I look like I eat really well all the time on tour, but uh, it's uh, when we tour, we we don't take very many days off. So, you know, we have uh, four days off, I think, in July, two days off, three days off or something like that in August in the you know first half of August when we're touring. So typically our day is we pull into the town that we're going to play sometime in the morning. The bus, uh, you know, gets there. They start unloading, setting up the stage. We go to the hotel to take a shower and then eat lunch sometime mid-afternoon at typically whatever is close by. I should say Billy's also a big fan of Applebee's and Chili's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's not, uh, I don't it's something that is comfortable and, uh, you know, go have a, a beverage of some sort. And kind of kick off the day and then go do sound check. Hmm. And then the venue will have some sort of food for us for dinner. And then we get on the bus and we go to the next city. So it's not, we're not, we don't have much time to do uh, touring around, seeing the sites. A lot of the time we'll do a radio show or some sort of press thing in the morning or, you know, midday ish to uh, kind of promote the show or, or we'll be doing them in advance for other shows. You know, we're trying to book uh, a few record in stores for this tour. We're trying to do, you know, just do more stuff where we get out. Try to do, uh, you know, even more promotion. You know, we're always trying to do some. Trying to get the newspaper stuff going. And we try to do that before the tour actually starts. So that, you know, the writing before we actually get to the town just constantly trying to promote this band and, you know, keep it going. Really, mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, you know, people will like the record and buy it. And, you know, we use that money that we sell records that we make on selling the records to record more records. We just <laughs> use all that for studio time. As, as long as we can just keep recording and then have something kind of for every tour, have a release. That's kind of what keeps us going is, uh, just keep creating. <laughs> as long as we can keep creating, then we'll then we we can keep going. Walt Disney said, "We don't make movies to make money. We make movies so that we can make more movies." <laughs> Absolutely. Now that's exactly it. You know, we aren't. We are not. We are touring to support ourselves and our families, and we are selling records to sell more records. And that is, that is completely it. If you could survive on just, you know, creation alone, then we would do that. People don't pay you to just create and never see anything. So we just keep going. Uh, I don't know. I like our records and uh, I hope, uh, I know, you know, I know that some people do and hopefully uh, a few more people will uh, check them out. 
Absolutely. I want everyone out there to check out this new album from the Boxmasters, Spec. You can also go on theboxmasters.com, see them on tour, buy the record. We got some really good new t-shirts. The designs just uh, got announced in the last day or two, and uh, I'm really proud of uh, the work our, our website commerce guy, Rob Finn, is doing. He's also an amazing photographer. He tries to go on tour with us, but of course, this tour, he's doing a book with Rob Zombie, and uh, so he's going to be on Rob Zombie's tour instead of ours, which is somewhat disappointing. I don't know. We've got uh, some pretty great shirts and uh, coming up with some other uh, fun things. And I don't know. Every aspect of, you know, like all the things that we can make up are, you know, that's exciting. It's like making a T-shirt design. It's, you know, not necessarily something I've spent that much time doing, but um I really, really like all this, you know, all the things you can do to uh, fire up your uh, synapses and get, uh, you know, the juices flowing. So any, uh, I don't know, all these aspects are really exciting to me. So moving into t-shirt making. (laughs) Before we go, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Uh, Give our music a a listen. You can pre-order the record at Amazon and iTunes and all that right now and get a discount up until uh, June 7th when the actual release date is. But, you know, if uh, our music isn't your cup of tea, you know, just find uh, something else that is. We're not going to force anybody to listen to us or force anybody to uh, listen to anything. But if you find something that you like, you know, hopefully you'll get out and support it. Get out and uh, see the shows and buy the records and buy the t-shirts and really support so that people can keep making music or making their art. Because if we don't, if we don't support the people that we like, they're not going to be able to keep making the art. So we want to just keep supporting people, keep creativity alive, keep it alive in schools. Cause that's where mine started was uh, a really strong music program in, in my school. And I know that so many schools are losing their music programs, mu- losing their art programs. And if the kids aren't introduced to it, they're not going to find it. You know, there's so many other things that take kids' attention these days that if they're not exposed to music and art and theater and drama and all of these creative endeavors that we've done as people for millennia, they're not going to keep it alive and then it'll just be whoever makes the beat and whoever says the goofy thing over and over and over that'll be what music is or something so just please support the arts in whatever aspect you can (laughs) well thank you very much i really appreciate you taking the time to talk oh absolutely thanks paul my pleasure all right sir well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Boobopery. Boobop shy. A kinapati laxic papu. Take a con con dig a pata kuliki. Aye, nakashi dabayaga. The subtle walky chig along. Take on some camp top to leave a dika pati chichi. Goodbye.